This is the Bridges class. This is the 8th of May. We have two more classes left before we go on summer break, which ought to be as exciting as it was when we were getting out of school for the summer. You remember how much fun that was when we looked forward to getting out of school? <laughs> of course, some of us... Do. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, still do. <laughs> you know, but some of us were the type of students that weren't really there during the school year anyway, so, you know, we, we had summer all the time. We're going to uh, look at a, uh, a verse, or a part of a verse. I asked you a couple of weeks ago, or I told you a couple of weeks ago, uh, that I was going to do one of these. We good? Everything except your microphone. Oh, I'm sure, on. Okay. No, you're okay. I'm on. Everything I say can and will be used against me. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer. I just, <laughs> and I've never been Mirandized. <laughs> but I hear that on the TV shows. We, we should pray first, and then I'm going to ask you uh, the question. Father, help us to take your word seriously. And Lord, prepare our hearts that we would receive with meekness this engrafted word, which does so much for us, Lord. Help us, Father, to have ears to hear and to gladly obey. And we ask you this for the glory of our coming King and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. A couple of weeks ago I asked, or I said I was going to do a, one of these studies on the most quoted verse. And uh, I asked my wife this earlier this week, and she got it. And I said, you know, I said, for that reason, I should probably exempt Ron because, you know, and, and, and you probably know it also because you've been in the ministry. I really want to poll the normal people, <laughs> the rest of you, uh, not, not those that run their ministry. But what verse do you think is the most quoted verse in the Bible? John 3.16. That's what Chuck Beatty said, and that's what I thought. See, Sean, what do you say? I think Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13, what says? That's actually what most Texans quote, but, uh, <laughs> but not everybody else. The Texans are the ones that say, I can do all things, but uh, that's not necessarily. Good, good guess, but not. The most quoted verse. You want to take a crack at it, Tom? Well, the problem is, in most things, there's a much quoted by what use it is. So they're quoted by Christians and non-Christians, and they're quoted outside of things, so... Okay, here's the big clue. Which is? Join others as you would have them join with you. That's a good crack. That's good. And then Christians would quote that also. Right. Okay. Well, the one, now, because there's more non believers than believers, uh, then there's a greater population of those that are quoting this one verse. But the verse that even non believers are familiar with and are ready to quote all the time is Judge Not. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one everybody knows. I know it's just a part. Well, they're heathens. They don't know the whole thing. They just know the one part that they're using as a, as a buffer to keep us, they think, from judging them. So that's what they know. Maybe you've noticed uh, that people are so hypersensitive, even thinking that we're going to judge them when we're not. We know the verse. We're, for, for this study, we're looking at uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. 
that everybody knows, judge not, that ye be not judged. For Christians, for those of us, th those of us with ears to hear, I would say, man, if there's anything I want to do is sway the judge in my favor because judgment day is coming. So what do I do? Don't judge. Easy, easy to understand. Don't judge. Now, what m makes this study a little bit more, and, and by the way, the title of this and the next two Sundays that we're going to do is just answering the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? Isn't that a good question? Shouldn't we all ask the Lord? It's a terrible question. Well, I, <laughs> I hear you, man. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. Man, you're preaching to the choir now. I mean, it's, <laughs> you're reading my heart. <laughs> a lot of us think like that all the time. I, I don't want to ask the Lord what he, because he might tell me. Or, you know, <laughs> why should I pray? Lord, search my heart. Oh, no, no, don't. I know what's in there. He knows what's in there, too. But it's a good thing for us to ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because every day there's some situation where we need to know. We ought to want to know. Right? I mean, th this isn't some kind of a twisty, you know, subvertive question I'm asking. It's, it's, it's just a simple thing. We ought to want to know what the Lord wants us to do. So as we start meditating on these things, well, we know one of the things he doesn't want us to do. And, and by the way, sometimes it's what he wants us to do. Sometimes it's what he doesn't want us to do. In this case, it's both. And I'll show that as we get a little bit more through this. So the verse that everybody knows, Matthew 7 and 1, judge not that ye be not judged. And uh, we're, we're aware that uh, Jesus even adds his hyperbolic statement to this when he says, who of you? Who do you think you are? You got a speck in your eye or, or, or there's a speck in your neighbor's eye and you've got a beam a plank, a two-by-four, which is hyperbolic, kind of amusing. I mean, you know, imagine. I mean, I go up to you, Don, and I say, you know, <laughs> you got a speck in your eye, and here I am, I got a four-by-four four plank sticking out of my head. I mean, how uh, <laughs> it's graphic. And, we understand. and of course, Jesus had a way with words, and he had a way of getting his point across. And the point that he got across was, uh, you have no right to be judging the speck that's in your brother's eye when you have this huge beam sticking out of your own. Hey, Chuck, I'm glad you're here. We, we were just talking about you. Well, what you said a couple of weeks ago when I asked what's the most verse that's quoted, you said John 3.16. Others here said the same thing. But the verse that everybody knows, I just want to bring you up to speed. The verse that everyone, especially the heathens, know is judge not. How often do we hear people saying, and, you know, of course, I'm, you know, we're living in a world, we're swimming in this cesspool of a society where we're surrounded by heathens and unbelievers, and they're so hypersensitive. How often have you heard people say, don't judge me? And I mean, they say it with gusto. Don't you dare judge me! And uh, I'm going to propose something, and I'm going to back it up with a scripture verse, that, uh, you know, God put eternity in our hearts. And there's something in our internal spiritual being, we know there is a God, even though people don't want to admit it. And we know that there's judgment at the end of this life, but we don't want to admit that either. So people are hypersensitive. You say, well, what verse are you going to use to back it up? Well, in Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, just notice this. And I'm reading 
uh, just verses 28 29, Matthew chapter 8. And when he was come, this is Jesus, when he came into the other side of the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by their way. These guys must have been a handful. Verse 29, And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Out thou, art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Here's the fascinating thing. First of all, demon-possessed people know who Jesus is. They don't have to be convinced of the deity of Jesus. They know who He is. They recognize Him as soon as they saw Him. And the other thing is, they knew that judgment was imminent. And they asked Jesus, are you come to torment us? Are you going to come and judge us right now? And of course, Jesus didn't. And He took care of them and He sent them into the load of pigs. And that's the, the great end of that story. So, uh, the fact of people being hypersensitive to judgment, and, and, and by the way, I, I'm not trying to convince any of you here, hey, don't be judgmental or harsh with people. You already know that. But it's just good to hear the same thing over and over again. And, uh, but what I'm trying to inform you of is that people are already going to be hypersensitive thinking that you're going to be judging them even when you're not. Here's an example. Uh, 20 years ago, I had a Harley, and my associate pastor also had a Harley. We'd go right around hill country, and uh, every once in a while, <laughs> more often than not, being a, an American-made, not-so-dependable bike, and we had to get it worked on, we went to a Harley shop, and uh, one of these aftermarket places, not the dealership, and these are horrible atmospheres. I mean, just, you know, the whole biker thing is just a, a you know, we felt just really out of place. So we walked into this place, me and my associate pastor, and, you know, we needed some work done on our bike, some typical service things. And this typical biker type of uh, mechanic, you know, just gruff and, and crude. And we didn't say anything. All we said was, you know, we need our bikes worked on. And uh, somehow we got to talking and uh, I said, yeah, well, I'm, I'm a pastor and this is my associate pastor and we have these Harleys. And immediately this guy said out of nowhere, oh, so you're here to tell me I'm going to hell? Now, where did that come from? Why, why would he be so hyper? We didn't say anything. All we said was, I'm a pastor. This is my associate pastor. And this guy, I don't know if he had a, obviously he had a guilty conscience, but he said, oh, so you're here to tell me that I'm going to hell. Well, I've heard that before. I've heard that type of people, you know, jumping to conclusions, thinking that we're going to judge them just because we're Christians. And I already had my response prepared. And I said, no. I said, actually, it's the exact opposite, Porkchop. <laughs> that was his name, Porkchop. <laughs> I'm not just, <laughs> you, you don't want to be sarcastic and just pull a name out of your, hey, Porkchop. No, uh, the guy's name was Porkchop. He, he called himself Porkchop because he worked on Harleys, which are known as hogs, and he chopped them, so he was Porkchop. So uh, I said, no, Porkchop. I, uh, I said, actually, we're here to tell you just the opposite. We're not here to tell you you're going to hell. Actually, if I had a chance to tell you anything, I wouldn't want to tell you that you don't have to go to hell, that there's a Savior. There's, and, you know, just go into whatever uh, extemporaneous spiel that the, the Lord may inspire at that present time, which He's sufficient to do. So, uh, anyway, people are very hypersensitive about Christians judging them, and we know that we're not supposed to judge them. We know that we're not available. Some commentators uh, presume or suppose that uh, Jesus was actually uh, uh, honing in on hypocrites when he said, you know, look, 
you got a beam sticking out of your own eye, and yet you want to be nitpicking and, and, you know, find a speck. And, and it's just one of those things. And I've got a quote here from John Calvin that will be sufficient, as they usually are. Also notice, uh, if you will, just the non-judgmental atmosphere that we're living in, there are even businesses now that are advertising that their businesses have no judgment zones, especially gyms. You know, you know, they're trying to get people to sign up for a gymnasium, you know, for a health club, you know, it'd be pumping iron, you know. <laughs> I love these places. They're completely surrounded by mirrors, you know, you know so as you're, you, you hear, you're looking at yourself and it's really a, not a quite subtle form of idol worship. You've seen stuff like this, haven't you, right? I mean, people, they just, and they're just working it. And <laughs> there's others of us that want to go to a place without a mirror. So, <laughs> for another reason. But what they say is, this is a no-judgment zone. And uh, because they know how hypersensitive people are to judgment. So, uh, anyway, the judging that's referred to in this context, Matthew chapter 7, first five verses, is, is pronouncing a verdict. It's not the type of judging that has to do with discernment or critiquing. Actually, we're going to look at two other commandments in the Bible that speak positively of judgment, even telling us to be judging. Not judgmental, but to use our wisdom and our discernment. But here, we're not supposed to level a verdict. It's kind of like, and maybe you've heard people say this, they may say it in jest, or they might be kind of partially serious when they say, oh, that guy, he's, he's beyond hope. Or, or that, you know, she's just, you know, there's nothing you could do there. And, and we don't know that. We have no right to say that this person or that person is beyond the grace of God. We don't know how the Lord and His Spirit are working on them right now. So that's why we don't judge. We don't announce a verdict. Damned! No hope for you. God forbid. We should never, ever say that. And that's what the Lord is warning us about. Now, there's three Greek words. We're not going to turn this into a, a Greek grammar lesson. If we did, Ron would have to be teaching it because I'm not, I'm not good enough. But, you know, there's krino, which is the most common word for judge, which just means to judge, anakrino, to judge strictly, and diakrino, to judge uh, thoroughly. But because this is not Greek and we're not going to spend a whole semester on this, we're just letting you know that there are three Greek words. But usually... Those of us that are just reading English, we can, we can make a fair determination by the context. Now, we don't have all the facts, nor have we been summoned to divine jury duty. <laughs> you gotta, <laughs> the Lord send you something, <laughs> you're going to jury duty. <laughs> Next time you find somebody in church, let them have it. <laughs> no, we don't do that. You have not been assigned. <laughs> I mean, how many of us, <laughs> why is it we want to volunteer for God's jury duty that we haven't been asked to, but we try to avoid the other jury duty when it's our civil... <laughs> Just an ob observation. So, the warning is given indicative of our faulty abilities to rightly discern. Now, probably the best part of this lecture that I'm going to give you now is this quote from John Calvin. I, every time I read something he says, I say, man, why can't I talk like that? I, I can't even think like this, but he, he just comes up with these, with these uh, absolutely insightful comments. Here he says, quote, these words of Christ do not contain an absolute prohibition from judging, but we are intended to cure a disease which appears to be natural to us all. We see how all flatter themselves, and every man passes a severe censure on others. Let me read you that again. 
we see how all flatter themselves and every man passes severe censure on others. This vice is attended by some strange enjoyment for there is hardly any person who is not tickled with the desire of inquiring into other people's faults. Unquote. Isn't that good? <laughs> 500 years ago. You know, the thing about Scripture, and especially the words of our Savior, they fit every culture, any chronological period of history, any socioeconomic back. It fits everybody because it's the matter of the heart. And this thing of judge, it doesn't matter if you're raised in Burkina Faso, if you escaped the Khmer Rouge, if you were raised in Hell's Kitchen in Lower Manhattan, it doesn't matter who you are or where you were raised. These words of God are eternal and they will always speak to our situation because they have to do with the heart. So it is a common fault, a uh, common trait of Christians to find fault in others while avoiding our own. <laughs> Duh. We don't want to examine ourselves. It's a whole lot easier to pick on you, man. I can see what's wrong with you, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not willing at all to uh, take a look at me. You know, the weird thing about this is that there's sometimes when we are so totally self-consumed and all we want to do is just think about our own situation, except when it comes to spiritual discernment and righteous judgments and actions. Chuck Swindoll, some of you may have heard of him. He's on the radio all the time. He uh, explained this one time when people are overly consumed with their own situation, their own sitzim uh, lieben, their own life situation. He would say, these people have extreme ingrown eyeballitis. That sounds like something you need to see an optometrist for. I mean, you know, can you imagine your eyeballs just so totally turned around where all you see is internally? Well, what we're looking at, what we're considering this morning is the exact opposite. All we do is find other people's faults and we're not willing to look inside and see what's happening in our own heart. So, point number one, when it comes to judging, don't do it. Lord, what do you want me to do? Don't judge others. Now, for the remainder of our time, we're going to consider that there are two other circumstances where we're told specifically to judge. So actually judging outweighs not judging two to one. But it's not the same type of judging. This judging that the Lord levels on us here or tells us not to do is judging and condemning someone as, you know, they're beyond hope, they're beyond redemption. Not even the Lord can do something for them. We don't know that. Keep your mouth shut. Don't even say that. But this is what the Lord wants us to do. And we should want to sway the judge in our favor. We know what's coming. Jesus warns us that we will be judged as in a similar matter as we judge others. This should remind us of that little line that we say all the time in the Lord's Prayer when we're saying, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, when I did that little thing on the Lord's Prayer a couple of months ago, I I, I wish I would have made a bigger deal out of the divine reciprocity and our vertical forgiveness which our with our horizontal forgiveness. Because what we're saying in that one simple line, Lord, forgive me my, my debts as I forgive. In other words, we're saying, Lord, the way I'm forgiving my brother, that's how I want you to deal with me. And you think about that. That'll That'll temper the way that we interact with others. I don't want to be harsh on someone else because I don't want the Lord to be harsh with me. I mean, come on, isn't that a no-brainer? Isn't that what we want? Again, another 
insight from John Calvin. The added preventative warning that judgment is measured back unto us. And I, I, I'm quoting, let me see, starting the quote. The added preventive warning that judgment is measured back unto us in a similar dose should be en enough to keep us from entering into this prohibited practice. Who of us, knowing how a judge would eventually try us, giving us ways by which we reduce our own sentence, would not take this advice? We will be judged by the judge of all judges. He tells us how to avoid a heavier sentence. Isaiah threatens in 33.1 that all those who have spoiled others shall be spoiled. In like manner, our Lord means that there will be no want of executioners to punish the injustice and slander of men with equal bitterness or severity. And if men shall fail to receive punishment in this world, those who have shown undue eagerness in condemning their brethren will not escape the judgment of God. Unquote. Again, you know that's not my notes, that's, that's John Calvin. I told you, whenever you hear something profound and deep and insightful, you know it's not me. <laughs> yes, sir. I do appreciate you going and digging it out for us. Yes, well, it's, it's, it used to be digging it out. Right now, you just say, hey, John Calvin, poop, and there it is. It's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> you know, we used to have to go to a library and actually find something next to the philosophy department and pull it down. But now you just, uh, it's amazing the technology that we have. And by the way, we'll be held accountable for this. Well, I can't study. I mean, how, how lazy can you be, man? Google it. You can find out all kinds of amazing, insightful information. What's that? I'm upset. Yeah, that's right. Even better. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> I love it. I want to give them high blood pressure of the spirit as much as I could. Yeah, let them twist and squirm about it. Yeah, with all the things that Christians are looking up. So the prohibition to judge doesn't apply for every situation. And we realize this. I'm keeping an eye on the time here because nobody likes long-winded preachers. So I'm <coughs> keeping an eye on this. Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 7, in the same context, Jesus says, we know people by their fruit. Now, that doesn't mean we judge them. We just observe. We know where they're at, usually by the things coming out of their mouth, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So how do we know what's inside a person's heart? Uh, they'll tell you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> By the way, did you ever say something and as soon as it comes out of your mouth, yeah, yeah, I wish I could get that back. And it's like, I think it's in the Proverbs or uh, like water spilled on the ground. You once those words are said. So let us weigh our words carefully before we say something because you will not get them back. And, uh, you know, if you ever say something to somebody you love and you care about, you know, you fling them little darts over your shoulder on the way out and, it's not worth it. It may feel good at that time, but it's not worth it. So uh, this is a way of judging or evaluating others without sentencing them. In other words, we, we have to live with our eyes open. We can't just be oblivious and say, oh, well, you know. I mean, and, and, and by the way, ignorant people will quote the judge not for all things. You have a friend. Their life is obviously in disarray. 
I mean, they've got multiple physical involvements, okay? We're not going to get too graphic about that. But, you know, very common today. People live like animals. They just, you know, you know that's why this abortion thing is so sensitive. I mean, contraception is such an easy thing, but people just want to live like animals. And what do you do? They kill it! You know, and it's a, it's a horrible thing. And this, this is not supposed to be, I, and I'm judging them, by the way, but uh, <laughs> I am somewhat bothered by the vitriol and the hatred that they have. And by the way, I told one of the cops walking our hall today, I said, man, I'm glad you're here today. And I hope that they're in Catholic churches too, because uh, these people are angry, they're, you know, about this whole abortion thing. So, just to kind of weave this in, get back on track here, we don't judge these people. I mean, some of these people have a guilty conscience, and that's why they're so hypersensitive. But uh, we know that the grace of God works on people even when we don't know what's going on. But at the same time, we do evaluate people by the words of their mouth, and we're told to judge. 1 Corinthians 2 and 15 says the spiritual man, I'm quoting Paul, the spiritual man judges all things, yet he is not judged by any man. We live with our eyes open. We're not trying to avoid the obvious thing. I mean, if, if, if someone's life is obviously out of order, we want to say something. We speak redemptively. We speak with mercy and compassion, with love. We speak knowing that judgment is coming. You know, so when people are hypersensitive and they say, don't judge me, we remind them, hey, I'm not judging you. But I do have to remind you that we're all going to be judged. And see, we put ourselves in that same camp with them. We're all going to be judged. The righteous and the unrighteous, the saved and the unsaved. We all have a judgment that we're going to go through. Nobody escapes judgment. It's just a fact of life and something that we have to look forward to. It has a sanctifying effect on how we live now. I know I'm going to be judged. I'm going to be judged by the words I'm speaking to you right now. I, I, I want to get this straight. I can't afford to blow it because I'm, I'm speaking from the Word of God and making random comments on the side. But still, this is serious business, and we should take it seriously. So we know it's happening, while at the same time, knowing our own day of reckoning is coming. Let's quote Moses. He's always good. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 16. He says, In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. So, judgment, or evaluating, discerning, is in order, but not to the place where we condemn. And we said, that's it! <laughs> I've had it with you! Well, are you sure you want the Lord to treat you like that? <laughs> you want the Lord to say, you know, Skates, I've had it with you! <laughs> God forbid, we don't want to hear that. I'm just picking out names at random here. I know he won't be offended because he's a preacher and he does this. We have to have someone. I may pick you, Don, but, but uh, <laughs> please, don't judge me. <laughs> don't get offended if I somehow just pick your name because I know your name and I use you for an illustration. We're all in the same boat, folks. Actually, <laughs> the only differing of the vessel of God's grace that we're in is that we will be held more accountable because we've been given so much more, and where much is given, much is required. Have we ever meditated on that thought that Jesus said that? How about what Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 24? Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Jesus says his followers will judge fairly and rightly, though hypocrites should take care not to judge. Ironically, those are the ones who are not paying attention, and they really don't care because all they're interested in is what other people think about them. And the Lord's 
got their number and he knows exactly what they are. Now, so that's one positive way of judging. We just judge, uh, you know, in church business, there has to be some discerning without judgment. But I mean, if, if a pastor or the session or, you know, the leadership of the church, they know that there's something going on with someone in the church, you know, there's a procedure. We go to them one-on-one, -on -one, then we go with a couple or three, then we bring them before the session or the board, and if they won't repent, well, then we just got to say, you know what? You know, now, see, we're not judging them, we're not condemning them to hell, but we're saying, you know what, you want to be an active part of this church. You know, you can't be living like hell and then come to church and just think, oh, everything's good, and I'm going to sing the choruses and raise my hands and be all sanctimonious, while at the same time, my heart is obviously not in it. So, judging, critiquing, discerning is in order. Probably the most critical and worthwhile action of judging is when it comes to us. If someone has a Bible, would you please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Anyone have a Bible or you can pull it up on your phone real quick? Milt, what version are you reading there? Okay. Uh, you got 1 Corinthians? Can you read 1 Corinthians 11? Someone else has it? Who can beat Mitch? Milt? 1127. I may have you back up. This is the context on the Lord's Supper. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Okay, is that verse 27? Yes, it is. Okay, all right. Keep going. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Read that again. Okay, keep reading. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Okay, keep reading. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Read on. If we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. Okay, read that last part again about judging ourselves. If Again, we have this advantage of swaying the judges, the ultimate judge, with a capital J, the ultimate judge's verdict against us by judging ourselves now. So when it comes to judge not, this is not a time to avoid it when it comes to serious self-introspection. Actually, that's the most severe judgment that we should level, not on someone else. I don't know what's going on inside your heart. It's not my business. You know. I don't know. I know what's going on inside of here. That's scary enough. I can judge myself. And the fact that the Apostle Paul speaks these words, and we understand it's by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, at the time when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and we do it here in this church once a month. Some churches do it once a week. But as often as you do it, the Lord didn't spell out when you do it. As often as you do it, you show the Lord's death until He comes, and this is an intricate part of our partaking of this blessed sacrament of the Lord's Supper. What is it? Examine yourself. I can't examine you, Don. 
I don't know what's going on. You know what's going on. Come on, we're Christians. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. You ever feel that tender, sweet influence of the Holy Spirit saying, Ron, I'm trying to get your attention. And sometimes we don't like it. <laughs> I preached a, a message once on the most uncomfortable feeling that's actually a blessed thing. And that's the feeling of conviction. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's uncomfortable. It makes us squirm because it reveals to us how rotten we are, how rotten and twisted on the inside. We're totally depraved. You want empirical evidence? Look at world history. We're totally depraved. And as redeemed Christians, we still have a problem. It was the Apostle Paul who said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Here's a guy writing most of the New Testament who was totally in touch with his own inner wretchedness. So every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and as often as we do it, it should be a time of serious self-examination and judging ourselves. So there we have it. Two positive judgments, ourselves being the most severe, the judging that we do in righteous judgment, and the one judging that we don't do, which is condemnatory. You're no good. <laughs> when I was in high school, I was in the technical and vocational side of the high school. That's where all the stupid kids went. <laughs> I didn't go to the college preparatory where they had biology and French. I went to the tech side where we could stand by the window and smoke cigarettes all day. That's, <laughs> that's what I loved. And, and our carpentry teacher, oh, he was a, he was soured out, little short, bald-headed guy, just, he was soured out. I mean, like he was baptized in battery acid. He was just, <laughs> everything, I, you know, he, it's like he had Limburger cheese stuck under his nose. Everything stunk, no matter where he went. He, he had a sour look on his face, and he, he would always tell the students, you're no good. Not a one of you. You're no good. Not a one of you. You're never gonna. You're never gonna amount to anything. And he would say other things that I'm not going to repeat, because he would be rather vile and uh, uh, not so pure in his speaking. But he would tell us, "You're no good. None of your good." Of course, I had a Christian mother. I'd go home, and my mother would say, "Yes, you are good." But <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of leaned towards what my mother said. But I, but I knew even she didn't know <laughs> what everything. You know, she just loved me. Like, like a mother, and of course, Mother's Day. You know, Bob said something in his sermon this morning. He's talking about Monica, Augustine's mother. And I never heard this before, but uh, Augustine said that my mother gave birth to me twice. And uh, when I heard him say that about Monica, you know, that his mother gave birth the first time, and then again, spiritually, I thought, boy, that's my mother. I look forward to introducing you to her someday. She's already on the other side. And, uh, but she was, she was really something. And on Mother's Day, it's uh, always great to think back on things like that. And by the way, she taught me to judge myself. And she was never condemnatory. She could have been. She should have been. But she was always loving and non-condemnatory. But as you do know, people are very hypersensitive. And uh, that's the world that we live in. Yes, sir.